tools and frameworks around innovation can be that prescriptive because they're designed and they're they're meant to be used for a specific purpose. The problem with leadership and the problem with culture is it cannot be that prescriptive because we're now dealing with people, not canvases or frameworks or or stage gates, you know, all of those things, right? Which are mechanical, they're tactical and they're physical assets. We're now dealing with people and emotion and and creativity and how we lead and how we communicate that all of those components of culture we can't be that prescriptive we can't say you must do it like this or you will fail welcome to innovation talks join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development hosted by paul heller sophion chief evangelist Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. Glad you could join us again. Hope you're all having a good week. I'm joined today by Chris Beswick. Now, some of you remember we recently had a podcast with Dan Toma, and Chris is a co-founder with Dan of Outcome, and we spoke a little bit about Outcome with Dan, and we'll probably probably speak about it again. But but Chris works with CEOs and senior team leads, senior team members, in order to build better innovation-led organizations. But uh, what I really like about, about Chris is his, he focuses on culture, and I think that's a great topic for all of us that are in innovation. We talk about processes, we talk about measurement, we talk about uh, strategies, but, but culture is certainly a, a key foundational element. So, Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Where are you joining us from? I am based just outside London in the U.K., and uh, you're having an okay, uh, okay winter so far. Maybe heading into spring. <laughs> well, you know what? The I mean, I don't know if it's the if it's global warming or, or or what, but we untypically haven't really had a winter in the UK. Mm. It's been super mild. Like today was like eleven, twelve degrees, bright wow. sunshine. Yeah, which is for sunshine. this time. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that bizarre thing that we haven't seen for months. But no, the weather's been really mild here, um, which is which is nice. But it's definitely, if I look back over the last several years, the weather's definitely shifting. But it's really nice here at the moment, so I'm not Good. complaining. Okay. Well, again, thanks for joining us. Chris, how did you get into innovation? I know you have a pretty neat story you told me in the, the, the preparation of this. I thought maybe that'd be great for you to share with the, the listeners. I, many, many moons ago, I, I trained as an industrial designer. And, and I worked for about... Gosh, 12, 15 years in, in that industry, uh, in many different guises, many different types of or parts of the design industry. And I was really fortunate enough to, uh, I ended up building a group of companies, ended up as the CEO and actually went through an exit. The, the cool thing is, you know, we talk about cats having nine lives. Well, I, I must be a human cat and I've used all my nine lives up in, in one go because the deal actually took nine months to get the deal right with the lawyers and the buyers and things like that. Uh, and, and my existing management team, it was a, a part of management buyout as well. The deal took nine months and I signed the, the deal to sell the whole group. Absolutely everything did a full exit. And I signed on September the 9th, 2008. And for people that remember that fateful month, Lehman Brothers crashed on the 15th. So six days, I mean, if I'd have gone on holiday or there's a clause that we needed to rework, 
who knows, I probably may very well not be sat here now. So, so that was the design industry, right? And we did a lot of strategy work um, and obviously a lot of the traditional design work, solving problems, creating new things. And once I'd exited, to be honest, I actually didn't know what I was going to do next. I exited because I was desperately unhappy as a CEO. Mm -hmm. I wasn't a designer anymore. I wasn't a, a creative. I wasn't a problem solver. I mean, I still solve problems, but they weren't the thing that really lit the fire, you know, yeah. from, from someone who was just, you know, absolutely in love with, with the whole idea of design and problem solving and human centricity and empathy and all of those things. And as the CEO, I did almost none of that. So I went through a bit of a sausage machine as an individual trying to figure out, well, like, what do I do? I'm desperately unhappy. I've built this great thing. We've got these amazing people working for us. We've got a great team. We've got a great culture, all the things we talk about now. But I, as a leader, was just desperately unhappy. And I remember one day I just said, I think the, the your internally the self-preservation thing in my head kicked in. And I just took the phone out of my pocket and I phoned my partner at the time. And I said, that's it. I'm out. I'm done. I've got to go and do something else. I didn't know what that something else was. I just knew that from a preservation and a well-being perspective, I had to stop what I was doing at that time and go and find something else. What I actually found was um, I started to write my first book. And what I found was the innovation space around 2010 was really starting to emerge. And I naturally dropped into that space because a lot of old clients got in touch and said, Chris, you and your guys, you know, for years you've come in and you've solved problems for us and you've helped us build these strategies and all these things. Well, we need to build that capability on our own. We need to be, you know, we need to be self-sufficient and we need to understand how to do it. Could you come in and teach us about, you know, design thinking and, in the, and innovation started to be thrown in the mix? And the rest is history. Two books later, I founded the I founded Outcome with Dan Tomer. Um, you know, we're now talking about our next book. So that'll be like the fifth book, you know, between us. So the rest is history. So that 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 was that's the, the story, if you like, as to, to why I ended up here. Yeah. I think maybe the first book I, I I'm gonna talk about both, but The Road to Innovation. Was that the first book? Yeah, so that was the first book. That was my that was the very, very early days of innovation. So, you know, compared to a lot of the stuff that's out now, it's quite an unsophisticated book about innovation, but it was more a uh, a hands-on, everyone could access it. It wasn't about you've got to be the CEO or the C-suite and it's complex and it's systems thinking and it's all that. It was basically for anyone that really wants to get a handle on innovation inside a company, whether it's 50 people or 50,000 people, what are the, some of the pragmatic things we can start doing? How do we look at strategy? How do we break down silos? How do we use creativity? How do we use communication and language? And what does culture mean? And it's just a really simple handbook or set of tools uh, and questions for people to say, let's go back and answer these with our people and our team and see whether we can come up with some different ideas about this whole topic of innovation. Yeah. And your second book is really exciting. It's it's relevant to what we're going to talk today, Building a Culture of Innovation. 
Yeah. That was voted a, a 2017, one of the top five books on innovation, right? So you, Managed, you get yeah. a nerve on that one. Yeah, yeah. get in there. Amazon bestseller, <laughs> manage, management gold. I mean, yeah, oh, yeah, look, it was cool. But look, there was there was loads of good books out that, that year. You know, ours wasn't the only one. It's the only one on culture, though. And there still aren't that many books on, on culture. There are thousands of books on, in, on innovation in general written, you know, every year. What my publisher said at the time was, Chris, we've done loads of research. We, you know, we go out every year to CEOs and to senior leaders and we ask them what, you know, what topics do they need thought leadership on? What, what are the books that they want to see available? And the overwhelming sort of tone of response was, don't give us another book on innovation that rams it down our throat that we mm. must innovate or we will die. You know, we get that, right? We know we need to do it, but we just don't bloody know what to do. Like, where do we start? And the publisher just said, look, give us a book that shows senior executives what to do and where the hell to start on this, what can be, you know, so it's such a confusing subject still. So we wrote it less as trying to convince people that they need to innovate and more a case of saying, we know you get it. Here are some really simple methodologies, some frameworks, a skeleton, as I call it, to say, take the skeleton and put the meat on the bones in the context of your people, your organization, your sector. But if you don't know where to start, here's, here's the skeleton, here's the framework. So th the book was never meant to be, you must do it this way. It was more a set of guiding principles and frameworks and tools to say, use some of them, but actually go and read other stuff. But here, here's, a, here's a framework. We talk about six stages in, in the book, but here's a framework for you to use, but adapt it to your context and, and, and go and have fun. Yeah. Seems like a lot of people want a prescriptive book and A, B, C, D, and I'll just follow that. And I think what you're saying is these are elements, but you got to make them yourself, right? I think in all honesty, the majority of content around the subject of innovation can be quite prescriptive, right? Yeah. Here, here's a tool, right? And don't adapt the tool. Don't make do it in your context. It's just a tool, right? It's like a hammer or a screwdriver. It's a fixed tool and it has a very specific job. Use it as it was intended, right? And the results, you know, you'll use it as it was intended and you'll get the desired results. So I think a lot of tools and frameworks around innovation can be that prescriptive because they're designed and they're, they're meant to be used for a specific purpose. The problem with leadership and the problem with culture is it cannot be that prescriptive because we're now dealing with people, not canvases or frameworks or or stage gates, you know, all of those things, right, which are mechanical, they're tactical and they're physical assets. We're now dealing with people and emotion and and creativity and how we lead and how we communicate that all of those components of culture we can't be that prescriptive we can't say you must do it like this or you will fail so the, the book is in that vein as opposed to here's a tool just use it as it was intended isn't it interesting you, you so few books about culture so few people thinking about it the impact of it and yet 
All those other things, stage gate, lean, canvases, agile, they're all going to fail if the culture's not not right, isn't it? I mean, it's they're dependent on a good culture, I think, to be successful. Yes, but I, th- I think the challenge with it is what I've seen and what Dan has seen. So, you know, what we see in our in our business today and what we've seen for the past several years is the innovation space or innovation in corporates has been tackled predominantly by the stuff that you've just mentioned. Let's look at strategy, right? Because we're corporate leaders, we know strategy. So let's 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 look at innovation strategy. We know governance, right? Let's look at that. Let's we know how to fund. You know, we know how to act like a, a VC. So let's let's do that. And they're all very tactical. They're all the the very the strategic. If um, components to innovation, let's build an accelerator. Let's go. Let's do a lab. Let's let's just go big on you know entrepreneurship programs. Let's just put every every one of our employees through an entrepreneurship boot camp over the next two years. That'll solve everything. And and those all of those components are important in the right context and to varying degrees depending on on the company. What what we haven't seen tackled is what I haven't seen tackled is a proper approach to a, a demonstrable shift in leadership around innovation, i.e. a demonstrable shift from the generic management and leadership development and training that all managers and leaders have had for the past 20, 30 years, a really demonstrable shift to how do we actually lead for innovation? Because it is different. Right, it requires different behavior and different components. That I haven't seen as much focus and attention paid to as I have the shinier stuff like accelerators and labs and strategy and boot camps and workshops. Okay. And the same and the same with culture. So I think leaders around the world have known that it takes all of these things, but the leadership shift and the cultural shift that organizations require are often seen as big, scary mountains to climb. And they will always be pushed down the list in favor of hopefully quicker, easier, achievable wins. I think the shift that we're seeing now is, and I know that this is from the conversations we're having, almost all the companies that, that are talking to us at the moment are talking to us because they've said, we've had the accelerators, We've, had, we've closed all the labs down. We've tried to look at strategy. We've tried to embed it into culture. You know, we've had other consultancies in running boot camps and workshops. We've done entrepreneurship programs. And we haven't seen any measurable return on our in- innovation investment. And our expectation is it's because we haven't really tackled the leadership component. And we definitely haven't built innovation into a core part of our culture we like we definitely haven't achieved that and we think we haven't had the success and the return on that investment because we 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 haven't nailed those other components we've favored and we've put attention on all the shinier stuff um, but it, it hasn't stuck and it hasn't embedded and they're now coming to us saying can you help us tackle those last two big challenges yeah I was really caught this when you said it, and I want to make sure I got it right and, and everybody hears it. You didn't say culture of innovation. You said culture for innovation. 
Is that intentional or, or was it just? It's one of those really odd conversations when your book is called Building a Culture of Innovation. Right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. But let's not get into the debate about the argument we had with our publishers around the title of the book, because we'll be here all night. Um, I innovate. So Dan and I called our firm Outcome for a reason, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Innovation is an outcome. Let's, let's get this one out of the way, right? It's not a thing. It's not something you do. It's not something you have. It's an, it's an outcome. And the best way I know to explain this is, is, is this phrase. Innovation isn't a badge that we can bestow upon ourselves. Yeah, It's a badge that can only be bestowed upon us by our customers. And what I mean by that is, as corporates, as leaders, that if we self-profess that we're innovative, we're doomed, right? If we put all the stuff in place and all the mechanisms, the leadership, the tools, all of the things, if we get all them in place and we get them all singing and dancing together properly, humming like, you know, like, a, like a Formula One engine, absolutely tuned to perfection, we will do stuff as an organization that is so cool, that is so forward thinking, that is absolutely aligned to our customers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They will go, holy cow, the thing that, the thing that Sophia and I've just launched, that is absolutely amazing. The thing that Nike have just brought out, that is unbelievable, right? Now, if they say, hey, that thing that they've just launched, that is so innovative. If they use that word, great. If they don't use the word, it doesn't matter right what we want is a customer going i'm going to go back for more right and i'm t i'm telling my friend the thing that that company have just done i'm going to buy one now and i'm probably going to buy two or an experience or a service whatever it is that's the outcome that we want from innovation because that then drives growth it drives spend it drives all of those things right it doesn't matter who, if anyone calls that innovation we've the yeah. world has latched onto the word because it's an, an easy thing. Here's the irony. Everyone uses the word innovation. In almost every client we're working for at the minute, right, they do not have a definition of innovation. Yeah. Right? And these are some of the, I'm not going to name names, but they're some of the biggest well-known brands in the world. I had a conversation this morning with one of the biggest pharmaceutical companies in the world who basically said, yeah, we're still struggling with the definition of innovation across the business. And yet... It's on strap lines, it's in annual annual reports. It's it it's crazy how we've bastardized the word and then we've devalued it. Yeah. So I talk about leading for innovation, not and, and in the context of leadership, it's not about becoming an innovation leader, right? And it's not about I don't teach leaders how to be the innovators. I will teach them how to lead for innovation as the outcome, as an outcome. And we, what we should be building is cultures where innovation is a measurable outcome. So it's just a slightly different play on words, but it puts it in a different context. Absolutely, that was, that was tremendous. Thanks for sharing that. I think, I think you're right. The, the only people who can, are gonna grade you on, on whether you're there or not is the buyers at the end of the day. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're the only ones qualified, even if they don't formally grade you. They're the ones who are grading you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we, 
Look, any company on the planet can launch a new product, right? And and in the title of that product or on the strap, strap line, say, you know, it's our new innovative widget or you know, it's the latest, you know, in our new line of innovative cameras or whatever it is. The reality is if they don't sell, right? Innovations become the marketing department's dream word. Yeah. And for many organizations, that word has been used without any substance because it hasn't driven growth. It hasn't driven revenue. It hasn't attracted millions of more customers around the world, but the word's been used left, right, and center for years. We have to get back to re giving the word innovation and re giving it the value that it had a decade ago. And we only do that by acknowledging that, that it's an outcome that we're pursuing. And at that point, if we want to call it innovative, great, because we can probably justify doing that. But in reality, why even bother using the word if you've got the outcome that you desired? Because it's just a word. Correct. Yeah. And what what a brilliant move to call your company outcome. I mean, geez, you know, that's just uh, that's just phenomenal because that's that's that captures it right there. Well, Dan, Dan and I sat down for weeks and weeks and weeks, and the the one thing that we absolutely agreed on was that if we were going to, you know, collaborate and build an innovation firm. The one thing, the one word that we definitely wouldn't have in the title was innovation. <laughs> and it, yeah. it, it, look, it just goes down to our, our purpose and every intervention that we do with a client, we map out what, what the outcome is. Like you want, you want Chris and Dan to come and work with your company. What for, right? What's the outcome? What do you want out of it, right? And if, or if we're just doing a workshop or a keynote, what's the outcome? What's the takeaway and what's the outcome that those 20 senior leaders from Exco, you know, what do they need to get out of that session? What's the outcome? So it always comes back to an outcome driven intervention because we can then be measured against that just as much as the client can then measure. Okay. Well, you know, here's the ROI. Here's, you know, here's the growth. Here's the thing that we got because the outcome was to go from here to this point and we can measure that. I mean, Dan's whole book, Innovation Accounting, is predicated on being able to measure everything, right? Yeah, right. All the work I do around culture, we only do an intervention around culture if we can set a baseline at the start of that intervention to measure the shift in maturity. The outcome is, because if we can't measure it, then how can, what's the outcome? Chris has been in and done some cool stuff, but we didn't get anything out of it. So it's pointless. So we have to be able to measure the outcomes. Thanks for listening to part one. We'll follow up with part two next week. Talk to you then. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com, S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com. <laughs>